Hello and welcome to episode six of Animism, Listening to the Land podcast. This is Phil, and Nathan is not with me today. This is my first solo episode. Uh, Nathan and I have taken a long break from recording, and hopefully this is our comeback episode from a little bit of a hiatus, but we have spent some time together. We've had some really incredible experiences in wild places and in connecting with our wild selves. And here I am picking up the thread of the conversation on animism and on the animate world. And today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to focus on animism through poetry, specifically through poems that have really inspired me on connecting more deeply or even given me a clue as to how to connect more deeply to the animate world. So I wanted to share a poem that I wrote myself as well as read um, a poem, one of my favorite poems and one of my favorite books from childhood. So here we go. So this first poem that I wanted to share is one that came to me and it's called Shut Up and Listen Harder. Crow shits in your perfect hair. Coyote tears pages from your perfect self-satisfied narrative. Rain makes muddy torrents of your makeup. The world looks with many eyes into your eyes. Your stories are too small, it chuckles. The world looks with many eyes into your eyes. Your stories are too small, it chuckles. But I'm scared, you say, and I don't know who I am. The world reaches out, takes your hand. Listen, child. But I don't have time, and the world is dying. No, it croaks. Now was always the moment of birth and creation. Now was always the moment of birth and creation. But I thought I was listening. Then, child, shut up and listen harder. So this poem is one that came to me at a time when I was really struggling with being overwhelmed by negative media, especially around the state of the environment currently and uh, a lot of people expressing opinions about how there's essentially no hope for the future for the natural world or for the human species. And I think as Nathan and I have discussed in past episodes, uh, this is not the way that I see it. And I don't want to put myself in a space where I agree with that opinion. I think that, um, yes, we are at a very challenging time. And I think some of the perspective around the world coming to an end and a lot of the fatalistic kinds of predictions and opinions are also based in the stories of the world being on a linear timeline and I think there's a forgetting that's happened and a disconnection that's happened because of our very overwhelming disconnection to the natural world. We've forgotten that birth and creation are happening right now in this moment. They're happening all the time. And I don't necessarily want to sit here and dissect this poem and take it apart piece by piece like an English class, but I think it's important to acknowledge that that 
for me, that piece of remembering that this is the moment of birth and creation is very vital. It's key to staying positive and staying connected. So as you probably guessed, I really enjoy this kind of wild poetry and I think there's a a humorous but also necessary aspect of this poem turning the status quo upside down and kind of inverting our daily habits and our attachment to doing things we've always done in a certain way and and the sort of inattentiveness that comes from being stuck in our ruts and so the way this poem describes the crow and the coyote ruining our sense of self-perfection and things like that is is key to me and actually learning to listen deeply more deeply and connect more deeply and to see that the world is alive and is aware and is full of beings that are able to in various ways communicate meaningfully with us and i hope you enjoyed that poem now i want to share with you a poem by by tom hirons called sometimes a wild god this is definitely one of my all-time favorites and i'm going to read it to you so this poem is called sometimes a wild god and tom hirons dedicates this to the awkward ones which i really love sometimes a wild god comes to the table He is awkward and does not know the ways of porcelain, of fork and mustard and silver. His voice makes vinegar from wine. When the wild god arrives at the door, you will probably fear him. He reminds you of something dark that you might have dreamt or the secret you do not wish to be shared. He will not ring the doorbell. Instead, he scrapes with his fingers, leaving blood on the paintwork though primroses grow in circles round his feet. You do not want to let him in. You are very busy. It is late or early, and besides, you cannot look at him straight because he makes you want to cry. The dog barks, the wild god smiles, holds out his hand. The dog licks his wounds and leads him inside. The wild god stands in your kitchen. Ivy is taking over your sideboard. Mistletoe has moved in to the lampshades, and a wren has begun to sing an old song in the mouth of your kettle. I haven't much, you say, and you give him the worst of your food. He sits at the table bleeding. He coughs up foxes. There are otters in his eyes. When your wife calls down, you close the door and tell her it's fine. You will not let her see the strange guest at your table. The god asks for whiskey, and you pour a a glass for him, and then a glass for yourself. Three snakes are beginning to nest in your voice box. You cough. O limitless space, O eternal mystery, O endless cycles of death and birth, O miracle of life, O the wondrous dance of it all. You cough again, expectorate the snakes, and water down the whiskey, wondering how you got so old and where your passion went. The wild god reaches into a bag made of moles and nightingale skin. He pulls out a two-reeded pipe, raises an eyebrow, and all the birds begin to sing. The fox leaps into your eyes, 
otters rush from the darkness. The snakes pour through your body. Your dog howls and upstairs, your wife both exults and weeps at once. The wild god dances with your dog. You dance with the sparrows. A white stag pulls up a stool and bellows hymns to enchantments. A pelican leaps from chair to chair. In the distance, warriors pour from their tombs. Ancient gold grows like grass in the fields. Everyone dreams the words to long-forgotten songs. The hills echo and the gray stones ring with laughter and madness and pain. In the middle of the dance, the house takes off from the ground. Clouds climb through the windows. Lightning pounding pounds its fists on the table. The moon leans in through the window. The wild god points to your side. You are bleeding heavily. You have been bleeding for a long time, possibly since you were born. There is a bear in the wound. Why did you leave me to die? Asks the wild god, and you say, I was busy surviving. The shops were all closed. I didn't know how. I'm sorry. Listen to them, the fox in your neck and the snakes in your arms and the wren and the sparrow and the deer, the great unnameable beasts in your liver and your kidneys and your heart. There is a symphony of howling, a cacophony of descent. The wild god nods his head, and you wake on the floor holding a knife, a bottle, and a handful of black fur. Your dog is asleep on the table. Your wife is stirring far above. Your cheeks are wet with tears. Your mouth aches from laughter or shouting. A black bear is sitting by the fire. Sometimes a wild god comes to the table. He is awkward and does not know the ways of porcelain, of fork and mustard and silver. His voice makes vinegar from wine and he brings the dead to life. So again, I don't want to overanalyze this poem. I think that there's real power in poetry to move us beyond our logical minds. And I think it's really important to make space for that wildness to come through. And sometimes we're touched in a way that takes a while to percolate and to settle. And the effects of a poem might take a while to really come through. I remember the first time I read this poem, I was really struck by it, but I didn't have words to describe why for at least a week or two. And, and I realized that part of its power for me was that it acknowledged that there are all these wild beings alive in each of us. And that is part of how we connect to the greater wild, to the natural world. And so rather than just understanding wildness as something outside of us, it's also something that very much lives inside of us. And there are foxes and otters and snakes living inside us in the same way they are living all around us in the landscape. And there's real beauty in acknowledging that and also fun. You know, there's, there's magic and there's playfulness in that. All right. So we're going to continue now and I'm going to read a book that actually came to me when I was uh, a child. And actually the first time I heard it 
was on PBS through The Reading Rainbow, which is really funny to think back on. And the book is called The Other Way to Listen. It's by Bird Baylor and Peter Parnell. And it's an excellent children's book. I really recommend it. But from the standpoint of um, animist practice and animist understanding, it's fairly brilliant and a little bit sneaky way of discussing what animism looks like in practice. This is The Other Way to Listen. I used to know an old man who could walk by any cornfield and hear the corn singing. Teach me, I'd say, when we'd pass on by. I never said a word while he was listening. Just tell me how you learned to hear that corn. And he'd say, it takes a lot of practice. You can't be in a hurry. And I'd say, I have the time. He was so good at listening. Once he heard wildflower seeds burst open, beginning to grow underground. That's hard to do. He said he was just lucky to have been by himself up there in the canyon after a rain. He said it was the quietest place he'd ever been, and he stayed there long enough to know, to understand the quiet. I said, I bet you were surprised when you heard those seeds. But he said, no, I wasn't surprised at all. It seemed like the most natural thing in the world. He just smiled, remembering. Another time he heard a rock kind of murmur good things to a lizard. I was there. We saw the lizard sunning on a rock. Of course, we stopped. The old man said, I wonder how that lizard feels about the rock it's sitting on and how the rock feels about the lizard. He always asked himself hard questions that take a while to answer. We leaned against another rock. A long time passed and then he said, Do you hear that? They like each other fine. I said, I didn't hear a thing. He said, sometimes everything being right makes a kind of sound. Like just now, it wasn't much more than a good feeling that I heard from that old rock. Were you surprised to hear it? I always had to ask. He said, not a bit. It seemed like the most natural thing in the world. I said, I wish I'd heard it too. He said he thought I might someday. He told me how a friend of his once heard a whole sky full of stars when she was seven. And later on, when she was 83, she heard a cactus blooming in the dark. At first, she didn't know what she was hearing. She found it by just following the sound. There were 20 flowers on one cactus, and they were all white as the moon. The old man said, most people never hear those things at all. I said, I wonder why. He said, they just don't take the time you need for something that important. I said, I'll take the time, but first you have to teach me. I'd like to if I could, he said. But the thing is, you have to learn it from the hills and the ants and the lizards and the weeds and things like that. They do the teaching around here. Just give me a clue on how to start, I said. And so he did. 
Do this. Go get to know one thing as well as you can. It should be something small. Don't start with a mountain. Don't start with the whole Pacific Ocean. Start with one seed pod or one dry weed or one horned toad or one handful of dirt or one sandy wash. I said, I'll take the sandy wash. He, start, he said he started with one tree. Every morning of his life when he was young, he climbed a cottonwood tree and he sat there listening. He told me it was worth the time. He said, trees are very honest and they don't care much for fancy people. And he said he doesn't know of anything he ever did as important as sitting in that tree. Tell me everything you can, I said. He said, well, you have to respect that tree or hill or whatever it is you're with. Take a horned toad, for example. If you think you're better than a horned toad, you'll never hear its voice, even if you sit there in the sun forever. And, he said, don't be ashamed to learn from bugs or sand or anything. I said, I won't. He thought of one more thing. It's good to walk with people, but sometimes go alone. That way, he said, you can always stop and listen at the right time. I'll remember everything, I said, and I did, but nothing worked. I thought there must be something wrong with me because I only heard wind and quail and coyotes and doves, just things that anyone could hear. I almost gave up trying. Of course, I still went walking in my hills. In fact, I used to sing to them a lot. I thought that since they wouldn't sing to me, I'd just sing to them instead. The day I'm telling you about now... I was singing, and the whole song was this. Hello, hills. Hello, hills. Hello, hills. Hello. That was after I had been away five days, and I had missed those hills. Five days. I went out earlier than usual. You know how everything looks new at sunrise? Well, all those hills were looking new. I was just walking where I always walk, but that morning I kept thinking, here I am, and whatever way I happened to go was always right. I climbed the rocky side, not the path. The rocky side is steeper, but I like it best. And anyway, that's where I found my three hawk feathers. I stood at the top where I always stand, looking down. Hello, hills. Hello, hills. Hello, hills. Hello. All I know is, suddenly, I wasn't the only one singing. The hills were singing, too. I stopped. I didn't move for maybe an hour. I never listened so hard in my life. Of course, their kind of singing isn't loud. It isn't any sound you can explain. It isn't made with words. You couldn't write it down. All I can say is it came straight up from those dark, shiny lava rocks. 
humming. It moved around like wind. It seemed to be the oldest sound in the world. All I can say is I was standing in the middle of that sound at seven o'clock in the morning, just thinking, here I am, and thinking, listen, and not even being surprised. It seemed like the most natural thing in the world. Well, I hope you enjoyed my reading of The Other Way to Listen. And I just wanted to point out a couple of pieces in it that really stand out to me. And I've heard this book read quite a few times, and I've read it a few times. I've read it to my son, and I've uh, listened to recordings of other people read it. And sometimes different parts of it stand out to me, but right now what's really standing out, what's really alive is the part about not feeling more important than other beings and how our self-importance and our tendency towards believing that we're somehow better than a horned toad or sand or bugs or a tree actually stands in our way of creating a more deeply intimate relationship with those beings and I wanted to end this podcast on a poem that I wrote after Nathan and I actually did a really powerful uh, life-changing ceremony out in sagebrush country in a particular landscape that I'm very intimate with. I kind of hinted at my relationship to this landscape in a past episode, but we were lucky enough to get to spend most of a full day there. And really the level of intimacy that we felt with the land and with each other uh, was incredible. And it was after a couple of days uh, maybe about a week of digesting, just beginning to digest what had happened during that ceremony and and all of the incredibly powerful moving pieces of it. This poem came to me, and it came to me at work. I'm very grateful I actually managed to keep it in my mind uh, long enough to write it down. But here it is, and I hope that you enjoy it. I never actually gave it a name, but I think if I did, I'd probably call it family. What if I told you your not belonging was a lie? What if I told you I sat here, right here, bathed in song of bunchgrass and meadowlark, of cattail and blackbird, the wheezing sigh of pelican wings and laughter, caressed by a scent of haloed sagebrush, and distant rain-soaked dust. What if I told you I dove into the inky depths of this lake, returning with a new body, the growth shading out my old concerns and doubts. When I turned to the dancing clouds, prayed to the red-brown basalt, they all, every one of them said, you have ever been and will always be family. When I turned to the dancing clouds, prayed to the red-brown basalt, they all, every one of them said, you have ever been and will always be 
family. All right, so I wanted to wrap this episode up by thanking all of you, the listeners, and uh, thanking all of my friends and family who have supported and continue to support this process of recording this podcast and sharing these ideas and sharing my voice. And I wanted to end on a moment of listening to the landscape where this final poem arose from and the experiences that uh, I had there with Nathan. And yeah, so you can consider this your moment of Zen and uh, just enjoy listening and uh, look forward to more episodes soon. Hopefully the next episode, myself and Nathan will be back together uh, sharing conversation. And I know sometime in the near future, we will share more about our ceremony out in that landscape. And yeah, we've had lots of exciting ideas for future podcast episodes. So, um, Hopefully, all of you listeners are excited to hear more from us. Thank you, and enjoy this.